Okay, good morning, Grace Point Church. Man, it's so good to see you all this morning. My name is Tim, for those of you who don't know me, and I get the pleasure and honor as being one of the pastors here at Grace Point Church, and I get the privilege to bring God's Word to you this morning. But before we do that, I have just a few quick announcements for you. Uh, First, coming up on April 7th, that is a Friday. Uh, That is what we affectionately know around here as Good Friday. And so I would like to invite all of you to our Good Friday gathering on April 7th at 6.30 p.m. Uh, now, you know, a few, su- uh, a few days after that, that is Sunday, that is Easter Sunday. That's the day that we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Uh, but on Good Friday, we observe Jesus laying down his life for us. And so please uh, come and be a part of that. Uh, but also, we said a few days later after that is Easter. So Easter, we're going to celebrate uh, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so uh, In order to celebrate that day, we're going to have a slight adjustment in our gathering time, so pay close attention. So our gathering times on Easter are going to be a 9 a.m. gathering, an 11 a.m. gathering, and a 1 p.m. gathering. So there will be no 6 p.m. gathering that evening. That will just give us opportunity to celebrate here and then go home and celebrate with our families and friends as well. Uh, and, And lastly... Um, since this is all things Easter, one of the things that we do on Easter to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus is we do baptisms. Uh, We celebrate Easter through baptisms. And so that means next Sunday, we are going to be having a baptism class here at Grace Point Church. And so if your next step in following Jesus, or maybe uh, is baptism, then we would love to invite you to come and be part of this class. And so I'm going to be there. I'm going to be teaching it. uh, So come and be a part of that. Uh, But maybe uh, you're here and you're like, well, I don't know if I follow Jesus yet. Let me just say, hey, that's a good class for you to come and be a part of as well. So come and be and join us next week. Uh, To get registered for the baptism class, there's a QR code on the back seat. Uh, Just grab your phone, scan that third QR code there, and it'll take you to a registration page, and you can get signed up and let us know that you are going to be coming. Sound good? All right. Well, if you know me very well, uh, you will know that I often lose things, Uh, mainly my keys, my wallet, and my phone. Uh, and I usually don't lose them until I'm ready to leave the house. Uh, and then I'm frantically running around trying to find my keys and my wallet or my phone. And luckily, uh, Kate is there to help me out of the jam. Uh, she usually knows where all things are at. Uh, and so uh, literally, I would be lost without her, right, husbands? We'd be lost without our wives? Yes, uh, very much so. Uh, and so uh, I usually lose things a-, a lot. And so a few weeks ago, I lost my keys. I didn't just misplace them. I, I literally lost them for two days. Uh, and it's so bad that I lose things so often. I have one of those tile uh, trackers on my, pho- on my keychain that connects to uh, Bluetooth on my phone. And it, my phone tells me where my keys are at. And so uh, what, what happened, though, the week before, I got a notice on my phone saying, hey, your battery is about to go out on your keys. You need to change that battery. And I did what any normal person would do and say, I'll do that later. Uh, And so the following week, I lost my keys. And I was like, oh, I'll just go to my phone and find my keys. And my my phone let me know. It's like, hey, we can't find your keys either because you didn't change the battery in the key fob. And so I I frantically searched for days. And I could not find my keys. Finally, I found them somewhere in the garage on, on, on one of our shelves. What they were doing there... I have no idea, uh, but when I found it, I was, I was very relieved. You ever lost something, and when you find it, you just feel that, that sense of like, oh, the, the, the sense of relief, right? Uh, 
Well, you know what? Things don't get lost, just get lost. People sometimes get lost as well. Uh, I can remember one time, Kate and I, we took the kids when they were little to, to Legoland. And Kate was, uh, uh, before we left, was telling the kids, hey, you, like, we're going to be in large crowds. This is what you do in case you get separated from us. We, we, this is what happens if you get lost. Go find someone and, and, and then have them call us. Well, my wife is a planner, and she, uh, she likes to think through things through. And so what she did is she took permanent marker and wrote her phone number on the inside of the kids' forearms. And Justin says, okay, so if you get lost, go find a security guard, go find a, a worker, and just uh, let them know that you're lost and to call, call your mom, and everything's good. So we went about our day. We we're having a good old time, and we're just walking along, and the whole family, we stopped to check out this, this shop, and we're, we're looking at some Legos there, and, and unbeknownst to us, Gabriel didn't know that we had stopped, and so he kept on walking. And so uh, you, you know this moment, parents, when uh, you have that panic, and you really know you're not a parent until you have this moment where you look around and one of your kids is missing. Like that, that moment of panic sets in, uh, and then like you turn around and like, where they at? I don't know where they went. And then about 50 yards away, we saw Gabriel just walking down the, the, the causeway there. He had no idea that we were not with him. Uh, and so we were relieved that we, uh, we saw him and we knew where he was at. And so we, as being good parents, said, let's see how this plays out. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, Gabriel realizes that he's alone, that his family is not with him. And then in that moment, you could see the sheer terror in his eyes as he looks down at his arm and holds his arm up and just starts screaming and running. I don't know where he was running to, but like... Very quickly, we, we went in and said, don't worry, we're here, it's, it's okay. And so he was safe, he wasn't in really big trouble, like we, we knew where he was at mostly, and uh, we, we told him that we would pay for his therapy later. <laughs> uh, but we as people become lost sometimes, don't we? In fact, Scripture says that every single one of us, we start out as lost. And the Bible describes uh, this world as being lost. But luckily, we have a Savior who came to seek and save the lost, who came and, and found us. And I want you to know this morning that, that we didn't find God. God was never lost. We were the ones that were lost. And so God came and he found us. But even after God finds us and we become Christ followers, sometimes even then we're prone to wonder and we begin sometimes to lose our way. Have you been there? Have you ever felt like you were lost? Me too. Me too. And luckily for us, we have a Savior. We have a God who loves lost people. And he has a heart for those who have lost their way. And so today we are continuing our series, uh, Dying to Live. And it's just our, our series through the season of Lent. We're just looking at various parables of Jesus during, uh, during this Lenten season. And we're going to, today we're going to be looking at a parable that gives us a picture of God's heart for the lost. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me over to Luke chapter 15. Now, here at Grace Point Church, we say we lead, teach, and preach from God's Word, and so we want you to have a Bible. So if you do not have a Bible 
with you. Uh, we, we've, uh, at your convenience, placed tables around the gathering center that has Bibles stacked up on there. They're English and Spanish. Uh, if you want one, you can just get up right now and go grab one off of those tables. Uh, I promise you, no one is going to look at you strange. No one's going to look at you funny. Like, I can't believe they don't have a Bible. Uh, like, uh, just get up now and go grab it. It is our gift to you because we want you to have God's Word in your hand. Uh, but if you're like me and you don't like to draw attention to yourself sometimes, uh, you'd rather wait till later to get a Bible. Uh, on your way out, we're going to have Bibles in English and Spanish right there out at Center Point. You can grab one of those on your way. Uh, it is our gift to you. Uh, so in the meantime, though, we're going to put the verses for you on the screen. So let's look here at this parable beginning in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all drawing near to him, him being Jesus. Now, at this, at this point in, uh, in Luke, we're about halfway through the book of Luke here, uh, and, and Jesus is well into his earthly ministry, and he's been going around, he's been preaching, and he's teaching, and he's performing miracles, and all of this is drawing the attention of a lot of different groups of people. Uh, and, and people are being drawn to Jesus for, for different reasons uh, as well. And one of the groups that was being drawn to Jesus was known as the people of the land. Now, people of the land, these were considered in society the lowest of the low. I mean, it's like they're called people of the land because you really couldn't get any lower than dirt, right? Like, like this is just this, kind of like the, the, the dirt of the earth. Um, and these, this group was comprised of tax collectors and sinners. Now, if you've been watching the, the show The Chosen or, you know, anything about the nation of Israel in New Testament times then you know that being a tax collector uh, was not a good thing to be, right? Uh, it was actually one of the worst things that you could be because tax collectors, what they did is they, they made their living on the fact that the Jewish people were being oppressed by the Romans. And so really tax collectors, even though they were Jewish, they were considered to be anti-Jewish uh, because they were collecting taxes uh, against Jewish people for the benefit of the Romans. So you had the tax collectors, and then you had the sinners. And the sinners just weren't people who sinned occasionally. These were, were people who were, uh, that were, lived a lifestyle of sin. These were the, the, the prostitutes, the, the, the less thans. This, this also included the people who were lame, who were blind, who were lepers, and the reason why they were included in this, this group of people known as the sinners is because it was thought at that time that if you were suffering from leprosy, if you were blind, if you were lame in any way, then somehow, someway, you must have sinned or your parents must have sinned. Uh, so you must have sinned against God for him to uh, put that type of curse on you. And so these tax collectors and sinners, they were being drawn to Jesus and really culturally, this wasn't a good look for Jesus. And like, if you're Jesus, and the Pharisees were kind of looking at like, Jesus, if these are the kinds of people that are being drawn to you, or these are the kinds of people that you're hanging out with, like, what does that really have to say about you? Like, what kind of man are you? What kind of, what, what is your character if you're going to hang out with people like this? It was kind of like birds of a feather flock together kind of a situation, Right? And so this group of people, the people of the land, were being drawn to Jesus. But there was another group of people that were being drawn to Jesus, but for very different reasons. Uh, and these, uh, look here at verse 2. 
He says, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so in verse 2, here's this other group that's being drawn to Jesus. And this group of people was known as the people of the law. And people of the law, they were the uh, religious elite of the day. They were the elite of society. They were the movers and shakers. They were uh, made up of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the zealots. um, People who, who followed all the rules of the Jewish law. And it was very well known that people of the law didn't hang out with people of the land. Like, you just don't do that, right? And they were just like, you know, we're godly people. We can't be associated with people like that. They, they, they might corrupt us. And so it's better that we separate ourselves and look down on them for where they are at in culture. And really what was going on is the people of the law didn't take very kindly to Jesus hanging out with people of the land. Because here's Jesus known as a rabbi, a teacher, a prophet. And he's breaking all the cultural rules because he's hanging out with these lowly people of the land. And not only did Jesus hang out with them and welcome them, it says here that he, he ate with them. I mean, can you believe that? Like Jesus would go and eat with these kinds of people? And what's so significant about that is we don't think much of that in our time. But in that time, if you were to eat with someone, that signified their significance to you. It signified that they had dignity and value and worth. You, you, you uh, recognize them and you recognize their humanity. You are affirming who they were. And Jesus was eating with them. Let me, let, let me illustrate it this way. Have you ever been to a party and you go to the party and they got this big spread uh, and there's all kind of food set out that you can eat and munch on, and and uh, there's all kind of dips and things like that. And at that part, and at the at the spread, they have a, usually have a pile of plates, and everybody picks up their own individual plate, and they they take some guacamole and put the guacamole on their plate, and then they grab some chips and they put the chips on their plate, and because of COVID and cultural, like it, it's good manners, right, to eat from your plate and your plate alone. What you don't do is just walk in, grab a, a tortilla chip, stick it in the guacamole, eat it, stick it back in the guacamole and eat it, stick it back in the guacamole, like, 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 right? You just don't do that. You know what we call those people? Double dippers, right? <laughs> don't be a double dipper, right? We just, like, we just don't do that. Well, in Jesus' day, that's what they did. They all were double dippers. Uh, and so usually there was just one big thing of food in the middle of the table. They didn't really have separate plates. And, and they did a lot of eating with their hands in that culture. And so they would, they would grab the bread and they would dip it in there. And, and then they would eat it and they would dip it back in there. And then they would eat it all during a time where they did not have antibacterial soap. <laughs> kind of gross, I think. I'm glad I'm born in this, uh, in this time in many ways because of that. Uh, But that was just normal. You were double dipping. And so if you were eating with someone who was potentially deemed to be unclean, if you were to be double dipping with somebody that was unclean, then you too were considered to be kind of unclean. You just didn't do that. So you don't eat with those kinds of people. 
And so the Pharisees, these religious elite, they could not be bothered by these people. And so they're off in the corner. They're seeing Jesus associating with them. And they're over there, they're grumbling. And, and they're like, I can't believe Jesus is doing that. Can you, can, are, are you serious right now? And so Jesus, he hears them and he responds to them. And Jesus responds to them with this parable. Look at verse three. So he told them this parable. He says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost. He says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, Jesus, he was this master storyteller. And one of the ways he told stories is often through the use of, of parables. And what makes parables so unique, uh, especially to us, is that we, often we can often identify with characters in the stories, can't we? We can see ourselves as, as a different aspects and different perspectives uh, within of the characters within the story. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning is I want to just look at the different perspectives of the characters within this parable. And so the first perspective that we want to look at this morning is the perspective of the lost sheep. Now, by a show of hands, uh, and I don't want you to be humble, okay? This is not, a, you, you can brag for a moment, it's okay. Who in here would say, I am a sheep expert? Raise your hand. Okay. Um, well, I consider myself a sheep expert. I spent all, five minutes on Google, on sheep, on sheep101.com, and I am now a sheep expert. Isn't that how it works, right? We just Google something, and we now are the expert in whatever it is we just Googled. But this is what I found out as a sheep expert. <laughs> Uh, one, sheep by nature do not have very good eyesight. Uh, sheep are a flocking animal, meaning, meaning they like to gather together in flocks. Uh, and because they flock together, sheep are incredibly social. They're very social creatures. But they're also not very smart. And lastly, sheep, because they're not very smart, they're prone to wander off. They're prone to get lost. And the single sheep in the story has wandered off. It's wandered away from the flock and it has become lost. The sheep is now vulnerable. But here's the, here's the thing. The sheep that is lost doesn't know that it's lost. It's out there just kind of having a good old time, checking things out. Look at those hills. Look at that grass. Look at, look at those rocks. It's kind of cool out here. And because the sheep does not know it's lost, the sheep does not know the danger that it's really in. The sheep's wandered away. It's followed something that, that seemed right, that seemed better, that seemed good. And now the sheep is in danger. We're a lot like sheep, aren't we? I think that's why the Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray. And like sheep, oftentimes people don't realize when they wander off, they don't realize that they are lost. 
And oftentimes we follow after things that we think is going to make us happier or we think this is going to make my life better or, or look at that grass over there. It's so much greener and better. And we wander off and we don't realize the danger that we are really in. So often I see people just gradually just wander off. And it's not abrupt a lot of times. A lot of times it's just gradual. We, gradually we begin to, to stop gathering with the church so often. Maybe we'll miss a Sunday here, but then come this time, or maybe we'll come this month, but maybe not that month. We stop serving. We stop attending community group. We just gradually begin to find our way away from the flock. We become lost. But here's what I want you to see. Most people don't intentionally try to get lost. Most people don't wake up in the morning and be like, you know what, I'm going to get lost today. They don't. They, 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 what they do is they just end up following after something that seems right, that seems good to them. And in following that thing, they become lost. This is why in Proverbs 14, 12, <clears throat> it says, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. We fall away. And we never intentionally go to try to follow the wrong path, but we think this way is the right way. We think this is going to bring us happiness. And in the process, we become lost and we become, we find ourselves in a lot of danger. Let's change perspectives for a moment. And let's look at this perspective of the friends and the neighbors. So the shepherd, the sheep has become lost. The shepherd is out looking for his sheep, and the shepherd finds his sheep, and he begins to bring the sheep home. And look what happens here in verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So the sheep that was lost has now been found. And everyone's excited, and everyone's celebrating, and everyone's rejoicing, and everyone's having a good old time, except the Pharisees. Pharisees really didn't care that the sheep was lost. They're like, we're kind of glad the sheep was lost, because it means that like, the sheep wasn't hanging around us. It was just contaminating us. It was just bringing us down. The sheep was making us look bad. And so it's probably better that the sheep was off out there away from us. I want you to see that this morning that the perspective of the friends and neighbors really isn't about the friends and neighbors. The perspective of friends and neighbors is really about the perspective of the Pharisees. And really, these verses right here, this whole parable, is really an indictment against the Pharisees. And I love this, this parable because the whole time, Jesus is throwing shade on them. Uh, like he is. Like first, uh, look back at verse 3. Jesus compares these snobby religious leaders to shepherds. He says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, if you don't know why this is an insult, let me explain it to you this way. Shepherds in Jesus' day were the lowest of the low on the cultural social ladder. Like at the very bottom, you had people of the land. These were your tax collectors and they were your sinners. But right just above them were shepherds. 
And shepherds were, 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 were lowly. Uh, they were kind of the outcast. They, 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 they weren't part of the uh, normal happenings in society. And really, the, the religious elite began to look down on these shepherds. And it's kind of funny because these religious elite, these, these leaders of the Jewish nation, of the nation of Israel, that were these priests and scribes and Pharisees, um, the, the founders of their Jewish faith, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, you know what they all were? Shepherds. But by this time, Judaism had become so pious in its religiosity that it began to look down on these lowly shepherds. And I think it's just funny that Jesus is asking these snobby religious leaders to imagine themselves in this low state. And like, like, who says Jesus does not have a sense of humor, right? Like, you have to find this kind of funny. Another thing that Jesus subtly does here is he says, why aren't you celebrating? Why are you off in the corner? He says, my friends and my neighbors, they celebrate with me. And so it's like, you should be celebrating with me. Like, you claim to know me. You're claiming to be part of God's people. And so if you really are, you would be celebrating with me. You would be celebrating the fact that these tax collectors and these sinners who were lost are now found and they're finding healing and they're finding salvation in me. Instead, you're over there in the corner just grumbling and complaining. Why? Because people of the law, we just don't associate with people of the land. And see, what was going on is the Pharisees, they, they knew all the rules, and they were the best at following all the rules, but they had missed the very heart of the God that they were claiming to follow. They missed it when, they said, when, when Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. They missed it when Jesus said, I came for the sick, not for the well. They, they missed it completely. And these Pharisees, they knew about God in a religious sense, but they didn't know the heart of God. This is why Jesus says here in Matthew 15, so this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Essentially, he's saying, he's like, look, you may be religious, and you may know the rules, but you don't know God. You don't know the heart of God. You know what? We can be like that sometimes. Like, we, 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 we have a bad view of the Pharisees, but we, we have to turn the tables and, and look at ourselves sometimes. Where sometimes we, we can know all the rules, but we've missed the heart of God. We as mature Christians sometimes have very little grace for those who may not be as mature as we are. Can you believe they did that? They're Christians. They know better. Like, I can't believe they, they're wearing that. I can't believe they would say something like that. They're, they're Christians. They're supposed to, to know the rules better. They're supposed to follow the rules better. But see, here's what I know. Lost people who become found people, don't immediately become mature people. It takes time uh, with the Holy Spirit to work out our salvation. It takes time to become more and more like Jesus. 
And we have to understand that every single person around us is on a different spot in their journey. And we just can't look at someone and say, you're a Christian, you should be up here when, when, when their journey and the Holy Spirit is working on them with something down here. And so we have to have grace and kindness for them. And so what they don't need is, is, is us looking down on them with, with judgment and evaluation. What they need is discipling. They need someone to come along with them with grace and kindness and, say, and, and begin to show them how to live in that way. We have to be careful of that. Really, what marks our maturity is not our ability to follow rules. What marks our uh, uh, maturity as believers is how we treat those who don't follow the rules. That's what marks the maturity. Can we have grace for them? That's what marks a mature Christian. Finally, let's look at this from the perspective of the shepherd. Starting back in verse 4. It says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he takes his shepherd's staff and starts beating the sheep. Why did you wander off? You bad, bad sheep. Like, like you knew better. Oh, that's not what it says, is it? What does it say? It says, and when he found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. This is probably some of the most beautiful things happening right here in these few verses. First, look what the shepherd does when a sheep is lost. Verse 4, he says, he goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. See, if we're lost, we need a shepherd who's willing to come and find us. And we need a shepherd that is willing to come, not stop looking until we are found. And this is what this shepherd does. And this is the whole point of this parable, that God is a God that pursues and so if you're here this morning, no matter how far you think you have strayed, no matter how far gone you think you may be, uh, there's <clears throat> I want you to know that there is no place that God is not willing to go to find you. And he proved that because he was willing to go to the depths of the grave for you to seek and save you. And God, he pursues you with passion and he pursues you with his love. And this is the big, beautiful picture of the gospel. See, religion says, you know what? You're lost. Find your own way home. Like, you, you get what you deserve. You know, like, find your own way home. Clean, your, clean yourself up. You bad sheep. You shouldn't have done that. You know better. Now get your act together. Clean yourself up and find your way home. But that's not the gospel. That's religion. Gospel says you have no way to find your own way home, and you need a Savior to come and find you. And the scripture says that the shepherd goes out and he finds the lost sheep and he doesn't scold the lost sheep. He doesn't yell at the lost sheep. No, the shepherd picks the sheep up, carries it on his shoulder and walks him back to the flock. All the while rejoicing that this lost sheep has been found. There's no condemnation in this. That's the view of the shepherd. Now, we've been looking at this parable from, from different perspectives. And one of the reasons why Jesus tells us parables is because he wants us to have a new perspective. 
Jesus wants us to hear this parable because he wants us to have a new perspective of who he is. So often we think God is up in heaven grumbling at us like the Pharisees. That somehow we think that our, our sin is what drives Jesus away from us, but it's actually the opposite. It is our sin and the very fact that we are lost is what moves Jesus to come and find us and rescue us. And when he finds us, he rejoices over that fact. He doesn't complain. He doesn't grumble. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get frustrated. So this new perspective is that Jesus is saying, you think I'm like that because this is the picture that you're getting from these religious elite, but that's not me. That's not my heart. And Jesus is telling us it is actually our sin and our lostness that moves us, that moves him towards us. So many times we have this view that God's up in heaven, that he's angry with us, that he's upset with us, and that he's just waiting for us to, to mess up and to whack us when we do. You know, like he says, I'm just so frustrated with them. I wish they would get their acts together, that they know better. I've taught them all the rules to follow. Why aren't they doing that? But Jesus does not do that. When we become lost, when we lose our way, he pursues us with kindness and grace and love and mercy. See, religious people run from sinners. Jesus runs towards them and he finds them and rejoices. But see, I want you to see this. This is, I think, another beautiful thing. It's not just Jesus that's rejoicing. It's not just Jesus that is rejoicing. Actually, all of heaven is filled with rejoicing. Look at verse 7. He says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over uh, the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. All of heaven. All of heaven, when, a, when someone who is lost becomes found, all of heaven is rejoicing over the one sinner that repents. Now, there's some debate about this verse, about who these 99 righteous people are. The debate is, we know that all of heaven's rejoicing. That's not what's in question here. The question is, is who are these 99? Now, looking at this, I'm not so sure that Jesus here in this 99 is talking about people who are already saved. I believe what Jesus is talking about here is the Pharisees who think that they don't need to repent. Jesus has been saying to the Pharisees all along, like, you think what you are doing is pleasing God. You think because God is happy about you because you're following the rules. You think all of heaven's rejoicing because you're doing all the right things. But in really, reality, there is no rejoicing in heaven over you and your piety. But you want to know what makes heaven rejoice? One sinner who was lost but now has been found. That's what causes rejoicing in heaven. And Jesus, what he's doing here is he's comparing the joy of heaven with the grumbling of the Pharisees who don't want heaven contaminated with these kinds of people. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you identify with the lost sheep. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of just out there wandering around, kind of doing your own thing, living your life. But you have this sense maybe that something is missing. I've spoken with a lot of people over the years as a pastor and I hear people say all the time, it's like, it feels like something's missing or, you know, I thought there would be more to life than this. And they wouldn't necessarily describe themselves as lost, but they would, would say, you know what, I, I was doing this and it, I thought it was going to make me happy and, and it did for a little bit, but, but now it just feels like just something's off, something's not right. It feels like there's something should be more. This is the language of lostness. Maybe you're here this morning, you find yourself in a place where you feel alone and you feel isolated and you feel like everything and everyone has turned on, uh, uh, turned on you. And I would just say, if you're here this morning and you are lost eternally, I want you to know that you can never move from being lost to found on your own. That you need a savior who is going to come and find you and rescue you. You need a, a Savior who is going to come after you and pursue you with love and with kindness and grace and mercy. So why in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, he says, I am the good shepherd. He said, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And if you're here this morning, if you are lost eternally, I want you to know that Jesus laid down his life for you. He laid it down so that you might be, not be lost, but that you might be found, that you may find life in him. And if this is you this morning and you're awakening to that reality, just let me just ask you this, this morning, will you respond to that? Will you respond to that or will you keep going on this path that seems right to you? But maybe you're here this morning and you say, Tim, I know Christ. I know that Jesus has saved me. But Tim, this morning, I feel like I don't have much hope. I've kind of lost heart. I don't really have a lot of energy to, to love Jesus and to follow Jesus and, and to much passion for him. This is you this morning. If something's lost, I want you to know this morning that, that Jesus is not upset with you. He's not angry at you. He isn't frustrated with you, but he is here this morning and he's pursuing you as well. He's pursuing you with his love and his kindness and his graciousness. And so if this is you, let me ask you this morning, would you let the great shepherd carry you and restore you this morning? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We're so grateful that you love us and you care about us. So much so that you are willing to come and find us. Father, your word says that all we like sheep have gone astray, and we have. We've followed different things in life that we thought would make us happy, that we, we thought that would fulfill us, that we thought would make things easier and better for us, but in the end, we just found ourselves lost. And so, Father, we are grateful that you are a God who loves us and who comes after us, a God that pursues, and that your word says is, that, is your kindness that leads to repentance. And so you, you, you come and you find us with grace and with mercy. 
So Father, for, the, for those who are here this morning, they would just say that that is me, Father. I pray that you would awaken them to, to, to see their, their lostness, to see their need of a Savior, to see that, that you sent your son, Jesus, who Scripture calls the Good Shepherd, that he gave his life for them to bring them from a place of lost to found. So Father, we just ask and pray that those who are here this morning, maybe they're struggling in their life, maybe they're struggling in their faith, Father, I just pray that, that you would just give them the ability and courage to not leave here today without some assurance to know that you love them and that you have found them. So Father, we just pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.